everybody. Welcome into another edition of Head Coach U. I am Brian Fisher, joined as always by former BYU and Virginia head coach Bronco Mendenhall. And we're, we're doubling up on the Who's today. We have Tony Minnett, the basketball coach there, there at Virginia, and our first non-football head coach. Tony, thank you so much for jumping on with us. This is, I feel great pressure knowing I'm the first <laughs> non-football coach, but but honored and to be with my friend and uh, told Bronco how much I miss him and we miss him, but I'm happy to beer and just talk whatever we end up talking about well, well how, how was bronco at just knowing oh no as an you're, you're gonna go right there yeah how, how was bronco as an employee fellow employee where was he good around the water cooler like like what was <laughs> what was the mood there at, you, well, you know unfortunately i wish where our basketball facility is in football we don't interact that much but i don't know there was just a I sensed it right away. There was just an unsaid uh, respect. And then observing him, um, I wouldn't say from afar, but enough. I just loved what he stood for and how he went about rebuilding the Virginia football program. And um, being a coach's son, uh, watching my father go through many major rebuilds uh, and understanding that, uh, just the respect. And and one of my son's best friends ended up playing um, at the end for Bronco and he just said how much he loved just the respect he had and how much he loved playing for coach. And so just those things, you know, you, when you know people talk about that on the inside and obviously seeing the results of them winning and all that stuff was great. But but beyond that, it was it was good. And then whenever we got to be together and talk, it just was a, uh, a kindred spirit. I'm sure we do things differently in some ways, but there was a, a connection that was was good. You know, um, one of the things that just that I, I, I think it would be fascinating for me to hear more of. So I love your dad and I had a few interactions uh, and for our listeners, Tony's dad is just amazing. And when he would come into town, sometimes he would find his way over to the football building, which was just so cool. But it meant a lot to me, right, that um, that Tony's dad uh, and an amazing coach in person would then just wander across and visit another head coach. And and there was I think. And he never told me the motive, but there's there's a reassurance that comes from just talking to someone who knows. Mm-hmm. And he knew. And and uh, head coaches a lot of times are lonely and isolated. And it gave me a window to not only learn, but to have someone listen, but just to talk. And that was it was just so great. So I'm wondering what else, Tony, besides like the, the schematics and what other maybe life lessons or or lessons that your dad taught you through coaching, right, that you apply or that maybe you hold most dear? Yeah, I think, well, the most important thing he taught me, because I played for him and he was a Mm. a fiery Italian guy that was the Mm. kindest grandfatherly guy, but he was so fiercely competitive that he, he sometimes let his emotions get the best of him. And he always battled his emotions in coaching. But Mm. I think one of the most valuable things that I learned from him as a player and even as a coach is, when he would either uh, step across that line and maybe challenge you. And I gave him a green light because I said, I want to be an NBA player playing for him. I said, so you can do whatever you want, what what I sometimes regret it, but I said, Mm -hmm. push me. And whenever I thought he would cross the line or he thought he did to the players, the team, he would stand before us, whether it was the next day at practice or even in the moment and say, Mm -hmm. you know, son or fellas, forgive me. He said, I, Mm -hmm. I, I, this is a battle I have. I sometimes lose my emotions and we need you. And I'm sorry. I apologize. Forgive me. And when you see a leader mm-hmm. that you respect and knows that, like he had a way of challenging you. And then when you sensed 
he was sincere with his apology or his asking for forgiveness, boy, that would really rally you. And then you feel like, man, I'll run through a brick wall because sometimes we as leaders, we want to, especially when you're a younger head coach, you want everyone to think, I know everything and I'm right. And the bottom line is at least me, I don't, I make mistakes and I'm going to fail. And when you can see the vulnerability of a, a leader saying, I screwed up, will you forgive me? I think that's, that's a powerful lesson, Bracco, that I learned from him. And I think the other thing is, as we talked before we went on the air and you've had to do this at Virginia and, and probably, you know, we've seen it. He always took the have nots whenever he took a job, you know, whether it was high school, small college, and he worked his way up to uh, even where I played for him at Green Bay. It was a division two. Then he took the Wisconsin job. I think they have been to one NCAA tournament win in like 50 years. Then he went to Washington state and Pullman um, and they were major rebuilds. And I watched his, I guess I'll call it good stubbornness. Um, mm -hmm. I know mm -hmm. my plan. I'll make adjustments, but I'm going to stick mm -hmm. the way I'm going to do it. And he said, son, when you take a new job, make sure you recruit players and hire a staff that you can lose with first before you win. Get those guys that will stay true to what you believe. But he was he knew it. And I think when it, the, you know, the waves started slapping against the boat and things got rocky, as a younger head coach, you know, I think a lot of people, well, I, I need to do it a different way. This isn't working. Man, he dug in, stayed true, took a ton of criticism, but he wouldn't waver um, and made little adjustments. And he just, he outlasted, mm -hmm. you know, his own doubts, mm -hmm. the criticism and doubts, but he outlasted his own doubts. And that's remarkable. And had I not seen that, I don't think I would have had the confidence or trust to do it. But I saw him take poor programs, build them, where they became competitive first and successful. And that's real stuff. Like, that's the truth. Yeah. When that stuff happens, you find out the truth serum of what you got in your team, your staff, uh, individual players when it goes bad or something happens or you got to go through the, the losses and adversity. Yeah, the so I, I love the word vulnerability. And, and I think the most powerful leaders and, and the, the, di the dichotomy be just expressed of someone that is demanding and will push and ask so much of his team, but also have has the internal moral compass to know and sense, right? When, when he stepped over and sometimes in the moment, you know, but sometimes after practice. Yeah. And when you're contemplating, you know, and uh, I, I love the idea of swift and certain in terms of uh, uh, handling those things rather than stewing. And mm -hmm. um, the, the the coaches that then, as you said, the next morning or that night at a meeting, then stand in front of the team and address that. The credibility they generate and the love that's exchanged between leader and and and, um, and team that bond because we're all fallible. And when when the players see that um, that recognition and the determination to to work on it knowing it's going to be ongoing, right? It's not going to be fixed overnight. But as you mentioned, that same um, challenge of battling emotions or maybe battling, battling uh, the competitive spirit is also the stubbornness that allows you to do remarkable things at places that sometimes haven't been so remarkable. Yeah. No, it's, it's like a battle or a war being waged <laughs> in the inside of your heart, your mind, and that, like, you know, you, and you got to try to find that sweet spot, but you can't, can't ever compromise the stuff that really matters. And that's why if yeah. you don't have that, I think you can get chewed up and spit out in this profession. And it's hard. It's getting more challenging in ways, but, um, but those things, you have to have things that are your, your core values and things mm -hmm. that matter. I also love the, just the thought of um, surrounding yourself with, with people you can lose first with, because it really speaks to 
uh, identifying the brutal facts and acknowledging that this program is struggling. We are at a deficit. It's going to take time. And I think um, that actually builds confidence in staff and players that um, you see it, right? Even though your expectations and standards are very high, you're framing in a context that's real. And I think when those around you see that, um, yeah, there's more confidence generated in the leader. Um, so I, I, I was, I'm wondering why, uh, what within your dad, maybe did you see that he wanted to take on those have nots? Um, or was it just part of like, I don't know, what, what do you see there? Well, interesting. Um, he, <laughs> you know, he's told me at times, he said, I think sometimes I did it because it's all I knew. I was an underdog and I came from a small town and says, his grandparents, parents came over from Italy and didn't really have much. But but he said sometimes he said I was afraid to fail. So I took something maybe that, yeah. I, yeah. you know, he's real honest about that. Yeah. He said I took something where I, I could just build. And I think that's real, too. I mean, that's hard. You say, hey, I want to whatever the Cadillac program is in basketball. It takes a lot also to take over a, yeah. whether it's a, you know, a Duke or a Carolina or Kentucky okay. that's had success in, in basketball or, you know, who's going to follow coach Saban at Alabama mm-hmm. or, you know, those, those are real things too. So there's part of that. Like, I think I can make a difference because this is how I know how to do it. But, uh, but it's just also the way he was raised yeah. that blue collar um, kind of mentality. So, uh, and I don't know how he did it because he lasted yeah. 40 years. I don't know, but, uh, but he was stubborn in a good way. And he also has a man of faith that, um, I think he was compelled to to try to um, have that guide him in his coaching. And then, sure, the competitive side of wanting to touch something. Because when you turn a program around, that there's a sweetness in that. Like when it's been struggling and all of a sudden you turn it, that's that's your or the team, the staff. That's the that's your doing. That's that legacy that, boy, when you taste it, it's big time. It's so hard to do. And then it's hard oh, to man. keep so there's different values, but I think that's what drove him. Yeah. When, when um, so when I, I see the journey that you've taken at Virginia and a lot of that work was done before I arrived. And so do you remember a moment uh, of where you feel like, man, the flywheel is actually turning and there's traction and this is going to work. And, and if you remember it, how many years in or what moment and what do you remember about that? Uh, if you do remember. Yeah, I think, um, the first year was all like, I remember we got off to a three and zero start in ACC play. And I remember, you know, thinking, wow, maybe this isn't as hard as I thought. Was that a mistake? You know, we, we improved it a little bit, but in year four, um, mm. we remember I went and played my alma mater at Green Bay where I, my dad coached where I played and we got, got beat there and we shouldn't have. Then we went to Tennessee and got beat by 30 plus in a game. And, you know, and, like any place, I'm sure the fan base, and I, I don't have social media, I don't even try to listen to that stuff, but I just sense, boy, people are starting to wonder, can mm-hmm. this guy do it? Is his way going to work? It's, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I could feel that, but that's where my experiences of like, stay true to what's going on. We just kind of got it going that year. We won the ACC regular season and the conference tournament. And I just, mm-hmm. you could feel it. We went to a sweet 16 and um, it just, we had a little bit of continuity. It was just, a breakthrough moment and then you just you felt it and that was um you know and again you have to have success to validate it but that was i thought where we turned the corner and went on a, a pretty special run that way but 
you needed to get get over some of those hurdles. I love the idea of success to validate. And it's a slippery slope, especially when you're taking over a new program, uh, because the world jumps right to outcome <laughs> and to, to, to validate if your methods are working or not. And I know your approach and the design of your program is, is so focused on the development of people and, and, and the amazing principles that come with that. And we both know you have to have, well, I think to be completely fulfilled, you have to have both. The Mm -hmm. results have to happen. Sure. uh, So you can keep doing the real important work of building young people. Um, I'm wondering how much do you see your players looking outside for validation uh, versus what they're just hearing from from you and your staff and and that wrestle with social media, as you kind of alluded to, and the the landscape changing. and, And what do you see with your players and how they're navigating that? Yeah. I mean, that you're talking, you know, qualitative versus quantitative. Yes. That's, that's such a hard battle. I see it in our children that my kids that we've raised, um, you know, the voices, we, we talk a lot about guard your heart, guard your mind, mm. because the voices of the outside are so strong. And whether it's social media or your your inside voices, I'll tell you, if we can just talk freely, I'll tell you, I was reading this book and it was like a a thing I did that gets to this with our team. And it was really powerful. I can't remember the name of the book, um, but the book had you do an exercise where you take a piece of paper. And I did this with my team and you write down on this piece of paper, anything that someone has said to you that you had come into agreement with, that was a lie. They said, you're stupid, you're dumb, you're a choker, you're, you're not good enough, you're lazy. You know, just the list, things either you said to yourself or other people could be your parents, all this stuff, and you write them down. And, and it's amazing when you do this, you, the list, oh, you're like, all this stuff. So I basically, I did this with my team. I'll kind of take you through it. So I, we sat in the film and I said, I want you to, in your own time, you're spaced out, anything that someone has said or you've come into agreement with, I want you to write them down. We took about 10 or 15 minutes. I walked out of the room and I said, take this seriously. And I said, all right, there's the list. I said, now I want you, I said, you all have gifts. I said, God-given gifts that are innate in you. I said, now I want you. And I looked at each guy and I tried to, I said, these aren't the ones you have to write down. But like, I look at you, Kihei Clark, and I see mm-hmm. warrior. I said, mm-hmm. you are a competitive warrior. Mm-hmm. I said, you know, I went through most of the guys. Said, these are things I see. But but what are the things that you feel are gifts that you have are innate? And I said, I want you to write those down. And you think about them. I said, they're special gifts that you know are innate. So they they wrote them down. And we took game time. Then I walked into the room and there was a paper shredder. We had gave him two pieces of paper. And I said, listen, I said, this is the battle. I said, you're going to be tempted to go back to these things. And, and I said, it made me want to go and apologize to my own children for things I've said to them. And we talked about vulnerability and asking for forgiveness. I said, I've wronged you guys. I've at times called you lazy, soft. And there's a motivational side. You yeah. know, you have to. We talked yeah. about it. But I said, when the time's right, you get up individually at your own time. We'll walk out of the room. This is how we're going to end it. I said, you put that sheet with all those things you've come into agreement with that are false truths, that whether your own mind, the enemy, whatever has tried to put in your mind. And I said, you shred them. I said, they're gone. Doesn't mean you won't battle and they won't come up. So it's just a, it was a cool exercise. So the point of, sorry for the long story, but it's powerful is, you know, they shred those and there's something symbolic about shreds those things. And so, again, that that message of guard your heart, guard your mm-hmm. mind, 
power of in the tongue is life and death. So what you speak, what you come into agreement with is huge. So we try to talk about that to those guys. And, you know, my dad always told me praise and blame are the same coin, just opposite sides. Man, the, the world will praise you when you have success. Oh, the greatest thing in the world. And boy, a few days later, you screw up on the other side. They'll shame you. You're a bum. You're no good. And uh, and again, I told you my dad's faith was strong, but he, he shared with me the story in scripture. And I was, were very like, whether you have a faith or not, there's great truths, biblical truths. But like Palm Sunday is when, if you believe, when yes. came in and all the people were putting the poems down saying, Hosanna, he's... Jesus is coming. He's going to do all this stuff. And like five days later, the same people who were praying, <laughs> yeah. he's coming yeah. at, were saying, crucify him, crucify yeah. him, he's a bum, you know, and, and it was, it's just a, you know, and that was powerful, but that's the, the society we live in. We do it to ourselves. We do it to others. And when you can come to grips with that, when you can say, you know what, um, I've done that, but this is true. You know, maybe you can help these young people because that's a battle that's real and mental oh, man. Is into play. So uh, that's real stuff. I, I, I love and, and thanks for sharing that. And man, just, just to piggyback off of that, a similar exercise when I inherited Brigham Young University's program, one of the first team meetings, I had buses uh, uh, show up to the building. And I might have told the story uh, online or on our show already, Brian. So I'm going to tell it anyway, just if I have. But any, anyway, uh, we, we had buses take us up Provo Canyon, which is a canyon close to where BYU is in the mountains. And we had bonfires raging and I divided the team into groups of about 10 and gave them large sheets of paper. And I just asked them to go off and, and document what things um, weren't working in the program, hmm. what things had to be changed. And, and it that exercise took about an hour and a half for them to write all hmm. those things down. But when they came back, I asked that each of those and I invited them to groups of 10, each um, basically squad would would read those things. But once they read it, then they were to put it on the fire hmm. and watch it burn. So hmm. much like the shredder, right? The power yeah. of symbolism. And and when there's a symbolism, the, the long-term retention is so much deeper. And there's some emotion that comes with mm -hmm. watching it go in the shredder, right? Or go in the fire. And, and then if I followed up with the idea of go back now and just write what you're willing to do about it. Hmm. And... Great. And they were back in about 10 minutes, you know, so there's all this long list, but really those became the, the covenants basically of the first yeah. year there of things they were willing to do that I could help them do. And so just in listening to your story individually, uh, it made me reflect on that. And, and uh, it, the, the two-sided coin hmm. and the power of the tongue is, and, and so the, the world, the outside world is so pervasive now and the conditional nature of support and so going back to your Palm Sunday example, I love the idea. Sometimes people, um, they have their idea of how they want it done. Mm -hmm. And and so their belief changes by me through methodology. Well, I would have done it this way, or I would have done it that way, or this isn't the kind of leader I thought he was going to be. I expected like a warlike leader, <laughs> and I've got a yeah. cerebral leader. And, and so I'm wondering uh, through your career uh, how you've remained authentic to you. Right. So not not looking to be someone for someone else and not maybe, uh, um, I don't know, the praise of the world. How has it not gotten to you or has it at times? <laughs> well, I'll quote a proverb that my father would always share to me when he was about ready to to let me know. He'd say wounds from a friend are better than kisses from an enemy. So when <laughs> I knew great. he was either something <laughs> of our team or something with me or that. So, you know, I really think having 
people in your life. You know, for me, obviously, my father was obviously in love with my mom and dad, but my father, basketball, always was the biggest influence. My wife, who will look in, George Morris, who we know and yeah, share well, yeah. our, our team chaplain, will we'll speak the truth in love, but they'll share. They'll say, hey, look, I, you know, my wife's awesome that way. She'll just, she keeps me on track because it is, you can, your eyes can start drifting away. And, you know, I use so many stories in scripture, you know, about with our players, just truths that I think share that. But I think people, um, people in your life and when you're a coach or a player, man, you get humbled so often, mm. you get embarrassed, you get beat, you don't have the answers. And there's something that that what true humility does or when you face that kind of adversity and it, it does keep you humble and it does keep you reliant, hopefully um, on the right stuff. And, you know, I was the first coach in the history of college basketball to lose as a one seed to a 16 seed. Never happened before until this year. And unfortunately, you know, or fortunately happened to Purdue. And I remember my staff called me, hey, tune in. We're going to have a team join us. Purdue might get beat by um, <laughs> whatever. And I remember it was weird because I know that coach. I flipped the game on and I started watching all of a I just – it, all mm -hmm. those emotions came back and I was mm -hmm. like, I started pulling for Purdue. I was like, I don't yeah. want to have to go through that. But that experience, um, you talk about humbling you, but, but it did something more than that. It was, um, it made me realize I, I did some soul searching in that. And it made me realize, you know, if, if I never coach a team to a final four, don't have any more success, or perhaps I get fired, I'll still be okay. I still love the game. I still have my wife and kids. I still ultimately have my faith, which, mm -hmm. which gives me my peace and perspective beyond what the world says. Um, I'll be okay. And when a person knows they can handle some of the worst stuff, professionally speaking, vocationally, not, this isn't, we're not talking about losing a loved yeah. one or battling a, a life threatening disease or things like that. But if you know, you can kind of handle that and be okay, that gives you a, a that gives you a freedom um, to really go after and, be true to yourself and not be too much, but enjoy the moment, but not be such a captive or, um, you know, victim. Mm -hmm. What is the world saying? Uh oh, what if I screw this up? What if I can't do it? You'll still have those emotions and battle them. But that's um, that I think going through that was one of those moments. And we called it the painful gift. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I tell our team this and I told our young men that. So we would lost that that team I had the next year. Great story, right? We won the national championship, but we played the next year as the one seed. We had a great year, and we're playing uh, Gardner Webb. We're down six at the half, and I and I the whole halftime was way different than the year before. And I said, "Fellas, it's okay." I said, "We're gonna go out there. We're gonna play." I said, "But you're gonna be okay, no matter what happens." And I don't even think they believe me. I don't know, but I said, "It's okay." Um, but the question I always ask myself and those guys. I don't know if we would have won a national championship that next year had we not gone through yeah. that so-called humiliating or painful gift, however you want to look at it, that loss. And so, you know, it's 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 always interesting that mm. going through those things, being humbled, um, but realizing you're going to be okay, even if it doesn't go the way you want. Had we not won the championship, had, you know, something would have gone, it'd still be okay. And that yeah. is freeing, I think. And so that helps you stay authentic and true to something because it is, this is all a gift it yeah. is and anyways so I, I love the idea that that feedback is a gift and even painful feedback is a gift 
right? If, if then you've reached the maturity over time to know that it all works out. And, and that's where I think your team um, is so lucky to have a leader that knows it will be okay. And, and eventually they might ask you, how do you know it's okay? And, mm-hmm. how, and, and now that's a great opportunity. And in listening to you, um, you talked about your family and your kids, right? And that's an anchor point. And you yeah. talked about your faith and that's an anchor point. And those two things are how you already know it's going to yeah. be okay. And, and I, I think it's, it's refreshing for players that are in that, in the arena and so visible to know it's going to be okay. But sometimes they'll come to you in private or just in an unexpected moment and, and just say, coach, how, how do you know? And, and those moments to me, are the ones um, that are really the essence of coaching or, or why we even coach. And, and I, I've seen just that influence that you had, not only on your team, but I would say a community in the athletic department. And I think a lot of people um, wanted to know how you knew. Um, and, and I think that influence in and of itself carried so much weight. And I'm wondering in today's world of college athletics, uh, in my opinion, it seems to be moving farther from that um, but I'm wondering what you see, uh, at least in the world of college basketball, or maybe holistically, what what influences or what it's what it's looking like. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, football's the driver of so many things, but you know, I think men's college basketball, you know, they're they're with this the new landscape of NIL and transfer portal. They're they're the ones that are affected, and I I think everyone's in kind of an experimental mode right now. They can say, "Oh, I got it figured out." You don't, and yeah. And so what I choose in our staff, you know, because it does, it makes the question, is this, what is this about? I've been asked, you know, and I think you might be maybe the, the smartest of all of us Broncos, <laughs> but you know, it's, go, I'm sorry, go ahead. I didn't interrupt you. No, I, I was just, I'm trying to still figure out what it's about. That was one of the reasons of the pause. Uh, but anyway, keep going. Yeah, no. And just, you know, it, it, it does make you think about it. And again, talked with my father, my wife, people in this program, my staff, we decided we get to choose how we run our program. It might be harder in some ways to be successful. Virginia has its challenges as you as a football coach here had it hard. And we had them as a basketball program. And I think, you know, it's probably in some ways it's, it's easier to turn a basketball program than a football program. And even where the program was, but um, you get to choose how you want to do it. And we said, let's double down on what we believe is important. Now you can't stick your head in the sand. You still have to, um, be in the world, maybe not necessarily of it, but you have to, all right, NIL is a part of it. Uh, so how are you, you going to do things the right way? You know, I think you, you adjust, but you stay true to what matters. And we said, we're going to double down on what matters. And and we've got, you can see one of our pillars behind me is thankfulness. It, it's humility. We have five, we call them our pillars, maybe because we're at Virginia or our rocks or cornerstones, but humility, passion, unity, servanthood, and thankfulness. There are five pillars. We're going to recruit guys to those pillars. We're going to run our program in the same same way. And if it's enough, it's enough. And if it's not, all right, then at that time we'll, we'll address it and adjust. But I don't know many other ways to do it where I can be um, successful or be successful in the right way. So that's what we're going to try to do. Maybe it works, yeah. maybe it doesn't, but um, it's the way I know how. And I still think the pendulum will swing back, I think. And and that will those programs might come out ahead if you can hang in there. And if it doesn't, all right, then we'll we'll address it at that time. So, yeah. um, but I don't know for sure because everyone's in an experiment, but that's what we're choosing to do. And, and again, it starts with 
recruiting and hiring yes. the right people to go on that journey. That's where you start. If you don't start okay. there, uh-uh, then it's going to be tough. I, I love I love the idea um, of what you just said of adjusting, but stay true. And uh, Jim Collins wrote, and I believe it was in good to great. It might have been built to last. He said, preserve the core, but stimulate hmm. progress. And and so the core uh, and I think that's one of the, the 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 coolest things about your program and your leadership is there. There's a, um, a consistency of principle that is unyielding and unwavering. And and yeah, there might be some methodologies around that that maybe adjust to whatever is needed um, to some extent. Um, and I think that ties in your in your words um, to success in the right way. And because success can happen differently based on definition of success. Mm -hmm. And and I think your definition has more than outcome, even though it absolutely includes outcome. Sure. Um, and and that to me is part of this experimental component of how many will keep going down that way, going down that path, um, which yeah. I hope I hope a lot. One of the things that motivates me and again, it, it always has is like I I don't know if this is a right motivation, wrong motivation, but like I wanted to show the college basketball world. Yes. You can do it differently yes. and yes. you don't have to take a back seat yeah. and you can you can be successful and perhaps you can win championships or be really good. Maybe that means a, a national championship. But like that drove me. And it's from, a you know, I, I always I listen to a lot of your your um, post game conferences, like after a big win or a hard loss. And I like I loved your insight. Bronco was remarkable. Like I you're so well read, you're so astute, you're so humble, like you represent the things. And when you're around that, whether you were a, you were the, the squash coach or anything like, no, 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 you can learn from that. But you were in such a public eye. And I would, I'd listen to a lot of the things and, and they so aligned and, and resonated with what I believe. But my wife, maybe 10, 12 years ago, she sent me this TED talk and it was mm. Simon Sinek, a yeah. minute podcast called the golden circle. And it was yeah. kind of like, Okay, what you do is important. How you do it's important, but but you know it's the why question that everybody's talking about, and that just I don't know why that resonated with me. Why am I? Doing, I want to show you can be counterculture. Mm -hmm. You can do it differently, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. so um, that really is kind of what motivated me. And it's almost like a a little bit of a reset. Okay, now you're in another change. Can you can you mm -hmm. still double down and do it differently than the way everyone says you have to do it? Um, yeah. So that's kind of been a motivator for me. I, I love that. And and then just uh, and, and maybe we can kind of close with this train of thought um, as you were talking about who you surround yourself with and and basically drawing staff members and players. Um, and I, I, you didn't say this, but maybe it's in relation to your pillars, which which yeah. do they do they align with that or could they or are they willing to, you know, so maybe they're not yet. But wow, I think they would want to if they knew what they were. Yeah. So so when you're selecting and assessing staff and players which you've done so well, um, maybe how much do, do your pillars play into that um, yeah. or, or other? Huge. Um, and none of us, these pillars, I'll give you the short background because it's, it's worth noting. So these five pillars I mentioned, um, about 40 some years ago, they, my father, who had, was a man of faith, he was challenged. He said, somehow I want my faith to play out in my vocation yes. as a basketball coach. He said, so yeah. I, I don't want it to be separate. So what did he do? He literally opened up scripture and said, what would make for a great basketball team or a great player? He said, a player, or a team that's humble. They don't think too highly of themselves. They don't think too lowly of themselves. They have an identity. They know who they are. They have sober judgment. 
those who humble themselves will be exalted. Those who exalt yep. themselves will be humbled. There's so many different scripture verses, but you talk about a position of strength, true humility. So he said humility. Then he said passion. Well, a team that is passion. They love what they do, but they're passionate. They're wholehearted. Love the Lord with all your heart. My, you know, like you can go to, there's so many scriptures about passion. Yep. A team that is unified. The house is not divided. And hence, that's where that, you know, a team that you can lose with first before you win. And there's tons of scripture. A team that is unified. A player that plays. A team. And then servanthood. That was, he looked in yep. there and said, a great team. The way to greatness is through serving. We, we call it that story in scripture of when Christ washed the disciples' feet. Yes. If you call me your teacher and, and mentor, mm-hmm. then you need to go and do likewise. Like, what does that mean to be a foot washer? What does that yeah. mean to be a great teammate and serve? That might be your best player has to be the guy that's aggressive and takes more yeah. shots. And the other guy's got a screen, you know, like, so true, true servants, man, that's the way to greatness. And then thankful, thankful in success mm-hmm. for all the blessings. And then what we just talked about, thankful in adversity, when those painful gifts come, because that's where true wisdom is. So like he said, that could make a great basketball team. So like literally, I could just picture him 40 years ago, and that's really been his legacy. And man, I'll tell you, corporations, whether you have a faith, you don't, um, pro teams, they've taken those. And everyone has their own. You have so many yourself, but those became the pillars and so no one has those down. Those are the teachings of Christ. That's the life he lived, again, regardless of what you believe. And they've stood the test of time. They're mm-hmm. not words on a wall. They have stood the mm-hmm. test. And, man, what a great way to impart that to your young men. But when you're recruiting, do we recruit to the pillars? We try our best. And, again, know that people will evolve. So that is that's yeah. everything. And you can always point to those. Man, we broke down. We lost our humility. We lost our passion in this game mm-hmm. and it gets into those things. So I think it's a great for me. It gives you something to lock into. And boy, that's guided my life and guided um, so many things and talk to our young men when they come back as a husband coach. Mm-hmm. And now I understand what it means to serve. Now I understand what it means to um, be humble when I have to do certain things. I, I, I love, I love the framework that uh, it provides to not only take on challenges, but to assess setbacks yeah. Um, it, it, it's so great to have a structure to do that. And, but I think maybe even more compelling or every bit of m- not more powerful is the idea of your faith to play out in your vocation, because I think it speaks to authenticity and you're not wearing a mask at one place. that's not you. And you put on a different mask someplace else. And, and if the things that are most important to us, which I know for you, uh, as you've mentioned, are, are your family and your faith and, and uh, building these amazing young people, those aren't just words on the wall. I've seen it play out. And, mm-hmm. and so that to me is where uh, um, a program's culture is most vibrant, where whatever you see posted, you see manifest. Yeah. And, and, and that's more uncommon than common. Um, so, so many times you see things on the wall of a building or professional visit, and then you just simply watch and there's not an alignment there. Um, but the, the programs that are led the most, I think they have the fewest things on the wall, but those things are being manifest all around you when you visit and you can feel it. Hmm. And, and that was so much fun to me just to be across the street um, in Charlottesville and to, to see that influence. And it was really helpful. So I appreciated your example, uh, not only the results, which is fun. That wasn't really why I was interested. Hmm. I, I liked the, um, the subst- substantive part of yeah, faith playing out in vocation, an authentic, an authentic, authentic leader, 
that was also having success is I think pretty rare. And that's why I'm so thankful you chose to come on and just share. So I really appreciate it, Tony. Thank you. No, thanks for having me, Bronco. And like I said, we miss you here for sure, but you're making an impact. And, you know, again, our steps are ordered. We know that and mm -hmm. um, means a lot. And Brian, I'm sorry, two coaches just started <laughs> talking and you got sort of left out. But I, well, I, we, we, so, we love the, the, this kind of conversation because it, it is all a, a, really a podcast about kind of sharing knowledge between head coaches. And I, I just kind of want to follow up on that just a little bit. You go into those ACC meetings right, right when you arrived there at, at Virginia. You, know, you have Coach K, you have some of the, the legends of the sports there. What would you pick up in, in those meetings with your fellow ACC coaches? And now now that they're kind of being replaced by, by some youngers, you're kind of the elder statesman now. What, what are you passing along to that next generation? Oh, just basically just shut up and listen. <laughs> but I have you, above me is a poster of Rocky on the steps at, uh, you know, when he did that. And like, that's what drove me to try. I didn't know if I could do it, but I was like, I want to. I want a chance to go toe to toe against the best and just maybe get a title fight, you know, a la Rocky. And that's what I wanted to see. Can we build a program here and test ourselves at a place? Cause I marveled at Stanford when I was at uh, Washington state. I'm like, if I had a son, that's the best of both worlds. You have the academic piece. You have, you know, you're in the pac 10 at the time, pac 12 now, but I'm like, can I go and go against the blue bloods, the coach K's coach with all those programs, coach team. We had like Bayheim four hall of famers, but just they're, um, you know, they competitive, tough minded, uh, not afraid to speak their mind. Um, <laughs> and um, just, you know, they cared. Those guys, they cared about the state of the game. That's why they're missed. So um, they were really, you know, great for the game and did it. Good thing about college basketball and college football is and that's why. I think the NFL more mirrors college football. The NBA is different because my father. So I said, the NBA as a player's college as a game, but there's so many different ways you can do it. So many different systems of play, styles of play, philosophies. And so that's what I love. So I know I'm going round about your answer. I, I learned a lot from them. I learned, you know, again, they're the way they had done it. They, they lasted, you know, again, a lot of different opinions on them. They faced criticism, they handled success, but they lasted. And you got to take your head off to that. But I still knew I had to do it my way. And I didn't, not even my father's way influenced me, but true to what I believe. And if I tried to be a mini, uh, my father, or mini Jim Beheim or coach K, that wouldn't work for me or work at Virginia, but uh, great respect, but wanted to cut their heart out when we competed, but great. <laughs> and, um, you know, and, and certainly was, was humbled many times by those guys in competition and got a few swipes in. So that was good too. <laughs> Well, I, I think that that's uh, something that I think every head coach out there can can probably relate to a little sure. bit, especially on and off the field. But uh, Tony, uh, we, we had a high bar set in terms of our first non-football head coach. Yeah. Here. You, you cleared it. We'll have to have you back uh, again. Uh, it's a world record. I, I'm announcing it as an official world record by a non-football coach on the podcast. I don't think this one will ever be broke. I, it, uh, that's that's my guy standard. there. Brock was my guy. He's talking good to me. <laughs> the check will be in the mail, I'm sure. I'm exactly. Yeah, I, I, yeah, what you probably this is amazing, Bronco. So for your next coaches, I hope they get at least <laughs> half is what I got. <laughs> So uh, well, we, we, we do we do really appreciate it tony and uh best of luck this season i, I know you guys are really kind of starting that that journey uh, again uh as, as you embark on on the uh, 23 season so uh for bronco mendenhall and tony bennett i'm brian fisher we'll catch you again next week here on head coach you <laughs>